Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Film Club Podcast, where every week me and Miss Boo pick out some movies, watch them, and talk about them. And this week, we're talking about... Goodfellas. One of my favorite movies, one of my top picks when it comes to mob movies as a genre. Mm-hmm. What about you? How do you feel about this movie? Oh, I'm a huge fan. Martin Scorsese, to me, can like do no wrong. I don't think he's ever made a out-and-out terrible movie. Uh, Goodfellas is in the echelon of some of the greatest Scorsese movies. This might be his best movie. And it's one of the greatest mob movies of all time. Yeah. I mean, even when it was released, people are saying, all right, the only competition this has is The Godfather. And that's it. And that's really good company to be in. Yeah, considering when this movie first came out, before it went out to the general audience, they did a, like a screener. And a lot of people didn't like it. And he was like, you know what? He's like, I'm not even pissed off. This is kind of funny that people don't like it. Well, here's the thing about that, because um, the people who saw it originally, like the screener people, Mm -hmm. they just said, oh, the end of the movie, I I just gave me an anxiety attack. It felt like so uncomfortable. And Scorsese's like, so you felt exactly how I wanted you to feel at the end of the movie. They're like, yeah, and I didn't like it. Scorsese's like, I've achieved my goal. This is perfect. Because the movie, this movie is so weird because... It was Scorsese's most expensive movie up to that yeah. point. I think it cost him like $25 million, which, $25 million. And that, Hollywood money, whoo! That's chump change now, yeah. but in 1990, that was a lot of money. Yeah. And the, but the producers just kind of let him do whatever. They were like, man, we won't let you, we won't have you cut anything down. It'll be fine. I'm, I'm guessing they thought this was just going to be a uh, an Oscar bait movie. And they're like, eh, screw it. We'll just, we'll just roll it out. But it, it is fascinating that audiences just didn't really show up for this. Yeah, you know, they probably thought, oh, it's another gangster movie. You know, we've had Scarface that came out a couple of years ago, Untouchables. We're kind of like in this time frame where a lot of these movies are coming out. And it's like, no, this one actually talks about the lifestyle and the desire to be in the mob. Yeah, and it's it's a, such a classical kind of movie because... In terms of, like, the story, right? Because it's, yeah. it's a rise and fall narrative, which is the oldest thing in all gangster genre, right? It is, but we're also seeing it over the span of decades. So it's not like Scarface where it's, you know, a couple of years. We're seeing uh, Henry it, Hill go from a young boy to a man. Which parallels Once Upon a Time in America, yeah. which is the first movie we watched this month. And it's so fascinating to see a movie do that where it's, it's literally his whole life, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's his rise, his fall, and how this movie portrays the crime lifestyle, it's incredibly um, appealing. The beginning of the movie, you're like, fuck yeah, like, let's do some crime shit, woo! And by the end of the movie, you're like, I feel hungover. This was a bad decision. Well, especially, Why did we do this? Especially in the beginning of the movie, because he's, you know, working his way up, and it's, you know... Oh, we're like the celebrities of our neighborhood. You know, we'll take over a truck and we'll, you know, sell things or we'll give things away. We'll we tip have all people. this money. We have all these women. We have all this power. They let me park cars. Oh, look, I have a cool new suit. I don't have to go to school. So it's very appealing on the juvenile side of, you know, oh, this is fun. I get to, you know, do small things and get paid a lot of money mm-hmm. versus saying, oh, my God, he's making cocaine in his uh, mistress's apartment. This is going to go horrifically wrong. Yeah, and it's, it, but I think that's the beauty of the movie where it opens and you're just kind of like pulled into the lifestyle and you're being seduced by it mm-hmm. like the characters in the movie are. Yeah. I mean, um, Henry Hill's wife, Karen, she's just completely seduced by this life when they go to the Copacabana Club. Yeah. And we're seduced the same way and we see that it spiral out, but you're just on the roller coaster and you're like, you can't get off. You just got to finish the ride. Exactly. And the movie just keeps spinning and spinning and spinning until the end of the movie where it finally derails. And it's it's a beautiful roller coaster. It is. And it's interesting to see where our main characters end up at the end of this movie because not what you might anticipate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a different kind of mob, like mob movie. But before we get into, I guess, the specifics of the story, where do you want to start... Do you? Because I know you usually like talking about the actors, and we have 
possibly your favorite actor in this movie. One of my all-time favorite actors is in this movie, but he's not the star of this movie. So I think we got to start with our star first. Mr. Uh, Ray Liotta as Henry Hill. Who does a really good job as Henry Hill, Mm -hmm. who is actually a real person. And he hadn't met him prior to making this movie. Scorsese tried to keep the two of them apart, so... Ray Liotta could put his own spin on it and Mm. once the real Henry Hill saw the movie he was like I absolutely loved it and that's kind of like as an actor I would be terrified to portray a real person and then have their input of you know you know that was kind of shit that's not me (laughs) and he was like no dude you did a good job this is amazing yeah I mean don't get me wrong Ray Liotta is, is doing great work here he is our window into this life right Mm-hmm. in this entire story, and we have to be able to relate to him to a point, even when he's doing terrible things, Yeah, and still be totally with him as things start going wrong, right? And it's it's such a masterful, like, it's such a masterful portrayal of a gangster in cinema, and also, not, not only that, it surprises the hell out of me that Ray Liotta, this is like, his first major starring role. And this is also his first film with Scorsese, too. Is this his only film with Scorsese? I don't think it's... I'm not 100% sure, but this is his first with Scorsese, so... It'd be kind of intimidating to, you know, okay, I'm gonna come into the starring role with Scorsese. Yes, Hopefully yes. I could pull this off, and I mean, he managed to. At the same time, he was also offered the role as Harvey Dent in Tim Burton's Batman movie. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, and he turned it down so that he could be Henry Hill in this movie. And I think, you know, I love love me some Batman 89, but I think this was the, the perfect role for him. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's much better than... Uh, it's, it's probably a much better movie than 89 Batman. I think I'm willing to stake my claim on that one. I will neither confirm nor deny that because I love both of these movies very much. But of course, but of course. But, I mean, it's also fascinating because Ray Liotta wasn't even the first choice. No. Because I think he was, I don't know, there's like five different people Scorsese offered it to. One of them I know for a fact straight up just turned it down. Yeah. Just didn't even read for it, and that's William Peterson. For those who don't recognize the name, he was Gil Grissom on CSI, and he was in uh, Michael Mann's Manhunter, playing, um, playing the lead role that was not Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And it's so weird. To think that we could have had him as Henry Hill instead of Ray Liotta, because that would have just been a totally different movie, right? Yeah, and I, I think this movie works so well with him, De Niro, and Pesci as our our three main wise guys. Yeah, because honestly, Ray Liotta brings a lot of fun to this. Yeah, like he makes this seem like the best roller coaster you can be on. And you have Joe Pesci's character who takes this very seriously and we just kind of see him go from zero to a hundred and then to a thousand. Okay. Because he's just like, you know what? You're pissing me off to, I'm just going to flat out kill you to just, you know, is this, is this Joe Pesci's like best performance? Is this his most iconic performance? Because I feel that it's so hard to separate Joe Pesci from Tommy DeVito that that's his character in Goodfellas. It is so hard to separate him from that character, right? Yeah, because, I mean, you think of Goodfellas, you think of Joe Pesci. Yeah, and he's not, I think he's out of the movie, like, halfway in. Yeah. Which is so crazy. Because he has probably the best scene in the movie, mm-hmm. you know. How, how the fuck am I funny? Tell me how <laughs> I'm funny to you. Am I a clown <laughs> to you? The best scene in the movie. You're just funny. Best scene in the movie by far. And not... Uh- Apparently, that actually happened to him in real life. He was working in a restaurant, Mm -hmm. and there was, you know, a a known uh, mobster that used to go to that restaurant, and he had told him, you know, oh, what you said was funny, and he's like, what do you mean I'm funny? And he's like, no, just the thing that you said, so you think I'm funny? And he told Scorsese that. fucking clown to you? And Scorsese's like, yeah, that's amazing, we're gonna put that in the script. Not only put it in the script, we're gonna let you, Joe Pesci, direct it in my movie. Because, and not only that, because... Martin Scorsese, he's a fucking G, and he's like, Joe, you understand this character better than I do. You can properly get the right atmosphere in the in the mood of this scene. I'm gonna let you direct this. I'll just I'll sit back here, I'll make sure everything's lined up right, but you get to 
to motivate and direct this scene. And by the way, only you and Ray know that this is going to happen. Everybody else is just just going off of you. They're just going to sit there and feel kind of awkward and like, what is happening? Why is he getting so pissed off? And it works because genuinely everyone looks like, oh shit, he's going to pull the gun on Henry. Us as the audience feel so unsettled. Yeah. Because I think we've already seen um, Tommy kill somebody at that point. Yeah. So we're like, is... Is he gonna? Is he gonna try and kill Henry? Is that right here in what? the middle of the restaurant? Because but... I mean, he'll he'll fucking do it. Like, like I think his first scene where we see him like being oh jovial Tommy, he hits a guy over the head with a bottle. Yeah, for asking for the for the check. I mean, it happens. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but that's um that's like a, a such an interesting thing because. He is so good in this movie. He has the best scenes. He has some of the best lines. And also, I love his mother in this movie. Who's Martin Scorsese's mom? Yeah. Which which is great. She's like, hey, look at this painting. Where also where'd the painting come from? Because she just pulled it out from the infinity bag underneath the table. The the painting actually came from the writer of Wise Guys. Oh, uh, Nicholas Pileggi. Yeah, that his mom painted that, and he brought that in. And he's like, you know what? I want to put this into the movie. Oh, I like this painting here. You got the guy with the white hair, one dog going that way, one dog going this way, and he's just like, hey, what do you want from me? And it's it's such a weird little thing in the movie, but it's... If I put on my, my tinfoil hat here, it also explains so much. It's about the crossroads, man. It's, exactly. It's, 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 the, oh, it's the deep themes, man. But it's, it's so good. It's yeah, so good. It's along with the lines of that scene where... Martin Scorsese's mom wasn't told about the, the body in the car. Yeah. So she was just told, you know, just act out the scene like they're coming home from a, a late night. It's just, can I make you something? Can I do this? Can I do that? Which, this is like my favorite thing in the world. Because like Martin Scorsese and Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, they're like like friends, right? Yeah. Like they talk to each other like in normal society, not like work stuff. Yeah. So Mrs. Scorsese, his, his, mother, his mother, is like... Oh, you're having Bob and Joey over? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll, I'll make you something. And literally, she was like, "She was like, why are you directing me, Marty? It's, it's fine. This is like, this is like when you guys come home, you know, when you're after work. I'll just make you something. It'll be okay." She is just. It is just so awesome to know that uh, Monsco says he could not direct his mother. <laughs> she was just like, "Don't worry, Marty. I, I got this. This is how I do it. It's okay." I mean, it made me miss my grandmother. I was like. <gasps> I want, I want, you know, to go home to my grandma's house and have her cook me something just because I showed up. Uh, you just want fresh mole. Oh, that does sound good. But we're talking about Goodfellas. Exactly. And, and not only the the great supporting cast, we also got to talk about your favorite actor. The, the, the third of the trio. That's right. Mr. The Jimmy the Jet. Mr. Uh, or Robert not, De Niro. Not Jimmy the Jet. I Jimmy said the... Jimmy the Jet, didn't I? Jimmy, yes. Jimmy, Jimmy the Jet Rodriguez. I, yeah, you're thinking Sorry. about Sandlot there. We're, we're talking about Goodfellas with Jimmy G- the Gent. Jimmy Conway, yeah. Played by Robert De Niro in another string of iconic performances. Uh, another movie where he cements himself as being really, really good playing gangsters. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. He's... It's Robert De Niro. It's still like in his prime. Yeah, no, this is this is good. But yeah, and he's playing Jimmy Conway, who is the most paranoid motherfucker on the planet, and it is great. Which you kind of have to be in this life that they live. Yeah, and you don't know who's gonna, you know, who's gonna whack you. Yes, and I love how it's Jimmy who's so afraid of getting caught. He doesn't want to go to prison. He doesn't want to get whacked. That he's the one who sets people up to get whacked, to go to prison. Because he wants none of this. He is ultra paranoid. He's ultra careful. Super charming. That goes with the whole fact of he's being played by Robert De Niro. Yes. Their characters are going to be kind of charming. And it's so fun to just watch him interact with Henry Hill and Tommy and it and Polly and Polly he really he does he ties the he really does tie a lot of the like the strings of the cast together yeah and in an interview with Ray Liotta he said that Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro were the glitter mm-hmm. and Henry himself was the glue that kind of held them together and it's like yeah you do get a lot of you know shine and flash from uh 
Tommy. From Tommy and... Uh, Jimmy. And Jimmy, sorry. <laughs> I'm blanking on names. I want to keep calling them by their actual names. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, and you have Henry that's still kind of learning. I mean, we see him kind of be more confident when he's out with Karen. It's like, you know, yeah. I'm the you know the big man on campus, but when he's with the two of them, he kind of knows to take a back step and like, okay, they really know what they're doing. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where that's a really great way to, to put it. Henry is the core of the story, and Tommy and Joey, or sorry, Tommy and Jimmy are the interesting side pieces, mm-hmm. you know. Henry's the steak, they're the mashed potatoes and the peas and carrots. You know, they're 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 the rest of the meal. Yeah, I love me some mashed potatoes. Yeah. So wait, is Robert De Niro mashed potatoes or he peas and carrots? He's mashed potatoes. Definitely mashed potatoes. Definitely. Is that because he's Irish? That's no, ra- I just that's love racist. Mashed potatoes. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. Um That was yesterday. Yeah, don't worry about it. At the time of this recording. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I think these three, being our, our leading men, do a great job. We also have Karen, played by... I can't remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, if you're... We if, talked about this earlier. I couldn't it's remember It's Lorraine Bracco, by the oh, way. okay. Yeah, so we also have Karen, played by Lorraine Bracco. Sorry if we forgot your name. But we can't forget this performance, because she's just as vital as Henry is. Yeah, she is. And she feels a lot more like an audience surrogate than we do. Yeah, because she's coming into this kind of blind and seeing it for the first time. And it's interesting to see her, you know, from that very first date to where, you know, he's kind of like, yeah, I want nothing to do. Where she's hiding coke for him, and and she's pulling a gun on his ass. No, no, I'm talking about the first date where he's just kind of like pushing her, you know, Oh, here, let me take you home. And he's, like, dragging her to the front door and, like, kind of tosses her, like, there, there you go. There's a double date where he stands her up and she's just in tears. And then she's just like, you know what? I like him. I'm going to go call him on his shit and say, you know what? I'm a catch. You better notice me. I love that scene because she rolls up, hops the caddy over the curb, gets out, just starts yelling him down. And Henry's over there be like, whoa, whoa. And you're looking kind of fine tonight. It's it's such a fun scene, and she's the one that, as she becomes more seduced by, like, Henry and this lifestyle and what it can give her, it feels like the audience is in the same boat. It's like, yeah. I completely understand how somebody could be brought into this. Definitely, and we see it more of the romance side to it, where he's taking her to nice restaurants, where they get, you know, front seating for the singers that are performing at the restaurants, and... Oh, we don't have a table open. Don't worry. We'll make one for you. He knows everybody in the restaurant. Everyone's, you know, Everyone knows Henry, him. how you doing? You know, can yeah. I help you with this? So it's like, yeah, we could see how it would be uh, very appealing to kind of fall into the lifestyle. And then it's later on that she's kind of like, oh, God, I have to hide a gun for you. Oh, my God, you almost beat the shit out of my neighbor. Oh, oh hey, hey. What be- she deserved. Honestly, honestly, beating the shit out of her neighbor. Like, she, she even said that kind of turned her on. Yeah. And, and okay, that's that's something about this movie, because the movie overall is just showing the the beautiful part of the life, right? It's yeah. probably the, it's probably the best gangster film to portray all the like temptation and all like the beauty and all like that that glitz and glamour of living this like gangster lifestyle, right? Yeah. And it's not until probably like the halfway point where you really see the cost of it all what you actually have to give up for it for it and that's like your morals your soul and your life yeah you know because all three of these guys end up basically in those positions you know Tommy's this bundle of rage that kills the wrong person and he gets got uh Jimmy is super paranoid and he gets gets pulled in for being a thief and goes to prison and Henry he just burns himself out and has to go into witness protection. They all fall. Yeah. And it's great. It is great. And to go with, we're seeing more of like the glitz and the glamour side of it. We even get with Henry who monologues the entire movie. So we really are feeling like we're walking along with him. Best use of voiceover. Best use of voiceover, but also one of, you know, the most famous quotes from the movie is as far back as I can remember, I wanted to be a gangster. So it's not like this thing where like, he was kind of, you know, forced to be in it. No, he had, you know, kind of a stable home life. And he was just like... <laughs> I mean, his his dad beat the shit out of him. I mean, for the fact that he's got, you know, two parents. They I can mean, feed yeah, him. I know what you mean. I know but what you mean. it's just like, 
you don't hear that that often where it's like, wow, this is, you know, super appealing to me. I'm going to quit school and I'm going to become that. I mean, at at, at middle school age, it makes sense within the context of the movie, because once we go back and we see like young Henry, it makes total sense. These guys were the were the wheelers and dealers in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. They got to do everything they wanted to. They had no consequences. They had all the power, all the money, all the shit was new. All the shit was cool. Why wouldn't you want to be? Yeah, like when it, you put it in his context, he's he's this poor, poor Irish kid mm-hmm. living in a tiny apartment with too many people. His family doesn't have enough money. And he's like, I why would I go to school? Why would I go to school if when I can I literally can make money. when I can just make money when I can work at this at this little cab stand across the street, make more than my parents do for like half the effort, and I'm basically doing it by hanging out with my friends. And parking cars lighting shit on fire i mean you see uh his like classmates watching him you know drive in the cars and put them and move them around and it's just like little kid parking cadillac and he's like yeah you know the kids you know really respected me when they took my mom's groceries home for her that okay that line i love that line some kids from school brought my mother's groceries home for a week and you know why out of respect that encapsulates exactly what henry wants respect he wants, yeah, he wants respect. He wants power, mm-hmm. and he's he's so greedy for it, and that's the whole movie. He he's so greedy. He wants he wants more. He wants more money. He wants more coke. He wants more women. He wants more, more, more. Yeah, and because of des- that desire, more and more and more, it leads to him basically his he, downfall. His downfall. He gets too much. Yeah, and it, that's the beauty of this movie. Like it's a whole thing of. You are completely into it. You, you as an audience member, are fully on the ride. And at the end of it, when you see Henry have the downfall, and you're thinking, "Man, yeah, that's," mm, but it was really good while it lasted. Yeah. And that's how Henry feels at the end of the movie. And now, when nobody, a schnook, because the whole movie is just his nostalgia of the lifestyle. I ordered spaghetti and I got egg noodles with ketchup. That's a tragedy. <laughs> it is. But that's a point I want to make about this movie. This movie makes me hungry. Makes you hungry? It makes me hungry. Every movie makes you hungry. It does. Especially Studio Ghibli movies. But this movie makes me hungry <laughs> because there are so many scenes where they're gathered together and they're having these huge meals. And it's just like, damn, that looks amazing. Well, that's just, that's just how it is. You know, they don't call you Fat Tony for... For not eating, like, 15 courses of spaghetti. Some spaghetti does sound good right now. It does, it does. But we can get some spaghetti right after this. Okay. So, Boo, where shall we go now? We talked about a lot about the characters, a lot about even, like, the themes of the movie. What what else do we want to talk about? Well, I think we've got to start from the beginning, because this movie starts in the 50s. It does start in the 50s. It's not, you know, a fast story. I'm like, we go at least four decades in this movie. We do. I mean... I guess I'll break it down, break it down for you. Okay. So, 1959, or sorry, 1955, the youngster, Henry Hill, becomes enamored by the criminal life. He begins working for the local mob boys, Polly, and his associates, Jimmy the Gent, and his juvenile delinquent friend, Tommy. And as he's working his way through this criminal organization... He gets pinched for selling cigarettes, gets clapped on the back for not ratting out his friends. And, and after that... Jimmy's like, congratulations, this was your graduation. Exactly. And after his graduation, he is now completely invested into the lifestyle. That and Jimmy also gives him the number one rule. You don't rat on your friends and you don't say nothing. And by the end of the movie, he breaks both of those. Yes, he does. But the 55 sequence, right, where he's like a young kid... Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? Like I love this that whole sequence. backstory, the the whole sequence is great. I, yeah, I love the whole sequence. I love that we're kind of seeing it from a kid's perspective, where it's just like, wow, this whole la- this whole life is fantastical. It's just you know, I get paid and I do a couple of things. Mm. Oh, I like these cars on fire. They pay me even more. It this has is this, fun. It has this sheen of just nostalgia over the whole sequence, mm-hmm. right? Because it it's shot like um. 
it, it's almost shot like it's like, oh, this was such a sweet, lovely summer's eve mm-hmm. because it's all like nice and bright. Like there's no like darkness in this. It's very, it's a very like just happy and like happy presence of the entire sequence. Even though it's we also- see a guy get shot, we see carts get blown up, we see Henry get arrested, we see them robbing some places. It's also shot very warm too. So you feel kind of like nostalgic when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. But it also has that warmth to it where, you know, yeah, it could be a kid's summer where, oh, yeah, I'm working for the pizza shop, but I'm also getting paid to do, you know, these little secret jobs. And, oh, by the way, that, you know, mailman that took home this letter from school that ratted me out, basically. We got beat the shit out of him. My friends beat the shit out of him, told him you don't bring mail to that house. And it's a great opening sequence. It tells you everything for the rest of the movie. Yeah. It sets up. The whole code, right? The only rules that you need to follow, uh, Henry, is don't round on your friends and don't say nothing. Mm-hmm. So, us as the audience know, by the end of the movie, he's going to round on his friends and he's going to say something. Yep. He's got, he loves this lifestyle. He's completely enthralled with this. He wants to be this gangster. So, we know by the end of the movie, something's going to happen and he's not going to want to be a gangster anymore. Yeah. And it's it's so well done and also... The actors are great for being, like, the little kids they yeah. are, you know, because they, because if you're not named Robert De Niro, like, everyone, all your other people are played by child actors. Yeah. And it's, um, it's a really just lovely sequence. And then after this, we flash forward. Dun, dun, dun. It's, uh, to the 1960s, and the boys, they're hanging out at the Copacabana, they're clubbing, they're doing all that stuff, and around this time, that's when, uh, Tommy introduces Henry to... Karen, and we have the lovely stand-up date. Yeah, and we also have their wedding. Yeah, and it really does put together Karen's relationship to Henry, and also like that wedding sequence is just so fun to watch. Oh yeah, I love the wedding, and I love when you hear Karen's voiceover because in this movie we mostly have Henry talking, but yeah, you do get Karen interjected into the the voiceover work, which I liked kind of. Make the story expand a little bit more. And it shows the perspective of the people you affect with your life of crime. Exactly. And a funny part of the wedding was when she's talking about being introduced to everybody. And she's like, everybody's named uh, John, Paul, Robert, Joseph. And I'm like, yeah, that's like my side of my dad's side of the family. It's like all married to girls named Marie. And (laughs) all their kids are named Tony or Polly. And it's. (laughs) It was just like. That's funny. Um, when they're getting all the the donations. Oh yeah, uh, they're not even donations. Like here's a wedding present. They, they take care of this, and it's just envelopes and stacks and stacks. And of you cash. see the line of people waiting to give them an envelope. Yeah. Like sign me up for that a bag of money. Well, boo. <laughs> but I don't want to do all the, the bad the, things. Yeah, exactly. And it's a it's so interesting because Karen becomes the next major player in this. She's just as deep in this as Henry is. She is. And then we see her interacting with the other mob wives and she's just kind of like, yeah, this isn't for me. These girls are kind of boring. And and that's the thing about all the mob wives that aren't Karen. Because you notice when she's describing it, it's like, oh, they all look beat up. They're all Mm -hmm. like, they all look like really cheap and they all look, and watching it, they all look the same. Yeah. They're, they're kind of older ladies, they're kind of on the frumpy end, and they all wear way too much makeup. And jewelry. And jewelry. And, you know, I feel like they're all very much aware that their husbands have girlfriends. Yeah. And I think Karen is like, what? But, but like, why? And you know, Henry's like, well, because that's just how this lifestyle works, mm-hmm. right? You know, just have girlfriends. This is what you signed up for. You, you didn't know that? Like, that should have been in the itinerary. The yeah. girls didn't tell you? And it's just, it's really interesting to see the families outside of just, like, the mob people, right? Yeah. You know, we we meet Jimmy's wife and, you know, one of Tommy's many girlfriends. Yeah. And it's just interesting to see kind of how the family outside of it is built up and how all of them are affected by when one of them dies, one of them goes to jail, because they're just excommunicated. Yeah. And I like that Karen's kind of cut from a different cloth, where she's just like, Oh, my wife, you know, my wife, sorry. My husband's cheating on me with somebody else. I'm going to go track that woman. She pulls a gun on him and shoves it in his face while he's asleep. 
Well, that's after she goes and confronts the girl at her apartment. She's banging on the intercom and she's like, There's a whore in B12. Hey, or are you the tenant of this building? Are you the, the person that runs it? She's a whore. You see the the mistress on the couch just in tears and it's just like, yeah, yeah, that's what happens when you tangle with a married man. But at the same I time. love Lorraine Bracco in this movie. She is so good in this. Yeah. But again, this is the lifestyle in the movie, and she's the last one to know, which ends up with her trying to uh, <laughs> to shoot Henry in bed. Yeah, which is such such a fucking good scene. I love her passion and her anger of, you know, <sighs> how dare you do this to me? And then he talks her down, then he yells at her. <laughs> I'm sorry! <laughs> I was just like, no, no, don't cave, Karen! <laughs> it's the, it's that, uh, uh, you know, toxic dependency they yeah. have. It's how it works. Uh, and then um, and then after this, we kind of speed through. We get into 1970 with Billy Bats, main man, getting out of prison. And shows up at the at the club where the, where the boys are. And he starts talking some shit to Tommy. Yeah. Tommy don't take no shit. Place close up. Tommy beats Billy to death with a gun, and then they're in deep shit because Billy Bats is a made man. If this ever gets out, Tommy, Tommy gonna be in a hole in the ground. And you don't kill anybody that's made. You do not kill anyone that's made. And this is really good. This is a really good sequence because it shows. Just how brutal the life is. This shows how brutal Tommy is. This shows really what you're giving in to do this. Like, you have to be immoral. You have to be cruel. You have to you have to be able to do these things. And it's also kind of our full circle moment. Because that's the scene that we start off with when the movie starts. The three of them in the car. Driving. And, and they hear something in the trunk. And then, like, what the fuck is that? And then we get the... Yeah. And then we come back to that scene. And it's kind of like... All of this that we saw prior to that, like, is Tommy just, like, having a flash of, like, oh my god, if I go to prison, this is all the stuff that I did prior to that, and then he kind of wakes up to, man, he's not dead. He's awake. Or he's alive. That's an interesting thought, because with Henry, you know, he kills this guy, and then he's thinking, man, this is everything that led up to this moment, and mm-hmm. then everything after is the is the aftermath. Yeah. That's interesting, because the whole movie has a weird structure, because we're all in voiceover, and by the end of the movie, we're like, is was this his testimony, or was this his, his fond recollection of it, and how it kind of all went wrong? It's a very, it's a very interesting thing. I kind of like that, Be, using that section of the movie to really hammer in the context of the nostalgia, and also the context of the voiceover. Yeah, because that, that's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie is when he's in court giving his testimonial and he gets so off, um, what is it called? The podium. He, thank the you. stand. The stand. He gets off the stand and he's just walking towards the camera and he's talking. And it's in that Scorsese way where you have your character talking at the screen to you. Mm. And he's just walking and you see, you know, Jimmy talking to his lawyer and everyone's doing their business and he's just kind of giving the rundown of that moment. And that's like, I like that kind of engaging style that Scorsese has. Yeah, and that's this entire movie. See, this movie has no down down tempo. No. It's all up, it's all fast, it's all going. It's so, it's so crazy. He said that when he was making the movie, he wanted the movie to start like a, like a gunshot. Yeah. He wanted it to come out of the chamber as fast as possible and only get faster. Yeah. And it'll get faster and faster and keep on spiraling until it crashes. And that's, that's how the movie goes. It's just, it's pumping through this guy's life. All the fun bits, all the crazy bits. This movie is 10 trailer moments just back to back. Yeah, and I mean, even when we have Henry, well, Henry and Jimmy go away to prison, you know, we're thinking, oh man, they're behind bars. It's going to be brutal for 10 years. We're like, oh no, we've got, you know, our own house, him and Polly. And it's like, yeah, we've got, you know, we make dinner every night. We do this, we do that. I love that. But, but yeah, yeah it's just, I love that scene, you know, where Karen's like, you know, I cry every night and, you know, I, I bring you these things. And it's just like, yeah, he's away, but he's kind of okay with what's going on. They've got dinner, they've got company. Also, Scorsese's dad's in that scene. He's the one that puts too much onions in the sauce. Yes. 
So it's like I kind of like that he managed to incorporate both of his parents his in this parents movie. His parents make appearances, I think, in every one of his movies. I, mean, I think that's sweet. Yeah, I mean, I think God, I think they're in all of them until like Gangs of New York. Um, but yeah, I I really dig it. And then I believe right after this, because that happens in the seventies, and we have it coming through. It's like nineteen seventy eight. Henry is paroled. He realizes he can make a lot of money in prison with all this cocaine business while he was on the inside. And Jimmy organizes a new crew to do the Lostanza heist. Biggest, biggest uh, heist in American history, mm-hmm. right? And now with the Lostanza heist, giving Jimmy a huge amount of cash and this huge network of people to do his own kind of scores, Henry creating his own mini drug empire with Jimmy backing, and also Tommy being in there as their, like, as their muscle. These guys start creating their own, like, like sub, sub-mafia sub family within Polly's organization. But you have Polly that talks to Henry, and he's like, look, I know you had to do what you do. I know what you did, what you had to do in prison to get by, but the drug business, this is not the way to go. Don't do it. And, you know, Henry's, of course, of course I'm not going to do it. And it's just that greed that we've seen in him is just mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, he's giving me sound advice, but I'm not going to listen. I'm going to, you know... Listening to that advice does not make me rich. That, and he can never be a made man because he's half Irish, just yeah. like Jimmy. So they're kind of relying on Tommy to become the made man so that they have their own crew. Yeah, and I I like this sequence because this is Henry on, on the come up. And then we also see Jimmy's pure paranoia, because this is when he starts offing people. Because mm-hmm. he doesn't want anybody to know he was in the Latanza heist. He wants to make sure that everything is under wraps. And this is when we see just how brutal Jimmy can be. Yeah. Because up to this point, we're like, okay, yeah, Tommy, he's violent. You know, you get him angry and he'll kill somebody, right? Practically gunslinger, you know? Yeah. You know, he, you, you piss him off on a card game, he's liable to shoot you. Jimmy is, is even scarier, because he's way more methodical about it. He's like, I'm not just going to kill you because I'm angry. I'm going to kill you because I have... because I not, need to shut you up. I need to shut you up, and I don't trust you at all to tell you to be quiet. Because you know what? It's easier to kill you than to trust you. Yeah. So, it and he's so methodical about it, and it's like, this isn't a thing where, oh, he's going to shoot him in a bar and bury him in the woods. It's like, no, they're just, they're just ghosted, dead, done. And I mean, it's... An eerie sequence, because you see, like, the, the couple in the pink Cadillac. Because yeah. that was such a huge conflict in the bar for Christmas, where he was like, I told you, don't spend anything with that money. You need to keep it on the down low for a while. And he's like, well, you know, it's a wedding gift from my mom, and it's in my mom's name. And Jimmy, you know, with his paranoia, is like, nope, that's not good enough. And you got the other guy who's, you know, like, did you buy your wife that fur coat? Well, yeah, for Christmas, and it's like, nope, nope, nope. You take that coat off of her, and you get out of here. And it's it is really unnerving. Yeah, because it's all done to that. It's all done over music, and you see the bodies tumbling out of the garbage, and it's all just like really weird and uncanny. I mean, stacks. That was a brutal murder too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, they yeah. they just shoot Samuel L. Jackson on the back of the head. I mean, you know, Tommy comes in the room, and he's like, yeah, yeah, get dressed for late, and then just. Ooh, knocks him down onto the bed and it's just like oh my god yeah and and that's the thing it's the same thing that's gonna happen to tommy because mm-hmm. later tommy it gets discovered that he killed billy bats and it's time for revenge yep and they tell him he's gonna be a made man and so holly and the boys send him he's gonna go get made walks into an empty room and he's like oh shit and he gets shot in the back of the head and just dead over. That is the end of Tommy DeVito. That is the end of um, Joe Pesci in this movie. And, you know, also, shooting him in the back of the head with the bullet coming out of his forehead means he can't have an open casket, which is kind of the ultimate F you to, you know, killing their boss. Yeah. And that's the whole thing about about the movie. And that's also what Henry says. He's like, when they're going to kill you, you're not going to hear them coming. Mm-hmm. You're not going to know. Somebody will walk up behind you real quiet and it'll just be over. And it's also the first time that we see Jimmy have a genuine reaction to someone dying. That that's like the Oscar moment. Yeah. Honestly, because it's it's anger and it's sadness. But and he's it's... whimpering. It's not even like a cry. He's just whimpering, and then Henry's kind of like, he's "Well, that destroyed sucks." Destroyed by it. Yeah. And that is some of the 
best performing in the movie, especially from De Niro in this where he's already so good. And it surprised the hell out of me that only Joe Pesci won an Oscar for this movie. Yeah. And it's 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 crazy. But, but he very much deserved that Oscar. Very much. Oh yes. Because he's only in like up what, like half the movie and then and he still made it. Yeah. But as it goes, because um later on after Tommy is killed, Henry, he develops a drug habit. Pretty paranoid, right? Because yeah. cocaine kind of does that to you. And he's setting up another deal in Pittsburgh, but he's arrested by narcotics agents after they've been following around with a helicopter all day. And he gets bailed out by Karen. Karen says that, you know, she flushed like 60 grand worth of coke down the toilet. Henry's like, that was everything. I'm going to get murdered. Oh my God. And then we have Henry having that moment where he's trying to figure out what's he going to do. Is he going to rat him out? Is he going to go to Polly? What what can he do? Well, to go back on that helicopter part, I thought that was really smart the way that they did that because we're seeing Henry going out on his errands and he keeps seeing the helicopter and it's making us think, is he actually seeing that or is he tripping out? Because, I mean, we, we've seen Henry from the beginning and we've seen Henry, you know, years into being on coke and it's just, you could see... He's completely changed. You know, his coloring's off. He just looks he horrible. Lo- he looks super ill. And it's just like, is that really happening? Or is this just something, is it paranoia? But adding in Karen and then adding in his brother, and it's like, oh yeah, there is a, a black helicopter that keeps following the car. It's like... And, and then the helicopter disappears. disappears. And then it's like, is he getting paranoid? Like, is, he, is that just a coke talking? And it makes you as the audience question, okay... Is this just the coke talking, or is or is, is Henry really actually, is it really happening? And it's a really masterfully done sequence, and it it goes on to just another factor that that is such a well put together sequence. It's this entire day, the day he gets arrested, squished all the way down in like ten minutes. Yeah, and it's every aspect of the day, complete information dump, and it's so perfectly done it's so fast and this is what i think scorsese meant until the roller coaster crashes Mm -hmm. because the movie is speeding up all the way to this and this is the fastest part of the movie yeah and it is so much information and it's so much action and it's so much stuff and then crashes the cops just roll up and they arrest him yeah you know and it's it's such a well done sequence and even even after that, when we have Henry and he's yelling at Karen because she flushed the drugs down the toilet, and I'm honestly I'm sitting there and I'm like Henry, they were so gonna find that shit. It was behind your TV. Yeah, I'm like, you really think they're not gonna bring in drug sniffing dogs or just think, hmm, let me check in this TV unit and see if anything's hidden back there. The, there's 18 cop cars out there. They got warrants. They're flip. They're cutting the mattress open. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, if you have that many um, cop cars outside of your building and there's narcotics and everything involved, they're they're taking the knife and chopping your mattress open, right? That's happening. Breaking drywall in the walls. Then, checking everywhere. Yeah. I mean, what is it? That's the that's the rule. You can hide something in your house to stop a burglar for about an hour, but if he's got a weekend, he'll find whatever that's in yeah. there. Yeah. And I mean, it also kind of harkens back to the beginning of the movie when they first get married, uh, Henry and Karen. And... They come with warrants, and he's like, you know what? Just let them search the house. Don't do anything. And she's just like, okay, you know, can I make you coffee? Okay, well, I'm going to sit down and watch TV with my kid. And they're just going through every drawer, and they're looking. So I'm like, yeah, Henry, come on. They're going to find the cocaine that you have stashed behind your TV. Yeah. It was smart that she got rid of it. And and after this, you know, Henry gets out. He goes on bail. And then that's when his, his paranoia comes in. He's like, Jamie's going to kill me. I'm pretty sure he's going to kill me. What are my options? Can I kill Jimmy? Probably can't. He's got a, he's got a lot more money and he's got a lot more friends than I do. Got a lot more pull. Got a lot more pull. I can go to Polly, but Polly's not going to stop Jimmy from killing me. He's just going to give me his blessing that he won't kill me. Yeah. Fuck. It's time for witness protection. Well, even that, you know, we kind of see Polly excommunicate him where he's like, you know, I have no money. And Polly's like, you know, I'll give you what I got, but after that, I can't see you anymore. Six hundred bucks. It was thirty two hundred. Oh, sorry, thirty two hundred. I thirty two hundred for twenty five years. Yeah, that is. I, that's another thing about the movie that I think makes a point, is because the gangster lifestyle up until we've seen 
within within the film is this lavish lap of luxury like you get you have all this money you have all these things you can buy and it's this it's this exuberant lifestyle but the problem is it's not a long livable lifestyle no it's short game it's short game you can never you don't retire no that's something that i think a lot of gangster movie that's why i think i really like the irishman because the irishman is like this is what a long-term gangster mobster works with yeah like if you're if you're not a boss like like Polly because Polly's like he can't really ever retire he can't stop doing it he can like maybe get up enough money to live an upper middle class lifestyle forever but guys like Henry Jimmy they're just they would just get old until they couldn't do it anymore and then they'd end up at home because that money doesn't you know if if you're too old to kill people then you can't kill people anymore and that was literally all you can do yeah because what is it Henry says. In, during his court testimony, he never had a job. He never filed taxes. All his social security was bogus. All of his shit was bogus. If it weren't for his birth certificate and arrest record, he would not exist. Yeah. And that's got to be like all of these guys. Like, if you're not, if you're in this long enough, you can't do anything else. Like, I mean, it's, if, honestly, if Henry's like 30 at the end of this, and he goes in somewhere and he's like, I need a job. And they're like, what can you do? And he's like, I can hang out with a Copacabana and, and tell funny stories. Like, they're going to tell him to fucking shove off. Yeah. So, it it's just so interesting that that's the retirement out for this. Either you die, go to prison, or you become, as Henry says, a schnook. An average and, guy. And he does. And Jimmy goes to prison. Tommy's dead. Everyone, everyone goes up. He he rats everyone out to save his own life. And you get that smile right at the end of the movie where it's like, yeah, I may not be living the life, but I made it out of there. He's like, I may, I may be an average guy, but I'm alive. And that, that's a, that's a win. All those guys are going to die in prison, which is what we get with the end credits title cards, right? Where it tells you what happened to everybody. Yeah. Henry Hill, he was in witness protection. He got, he divorced Karen and then he... Ended up coming out of witness protection. Uh, we had um, Paulie. He died of cancer in prison. Jimmy. He was. In, he's going to be in prison until two thousand four. And we, you know. we we find out that he died of cancer in prison too. Yeah. And also, yeah. Henry didn't come out of witness protection. He was kicked out of witness protection. I I know. I didn't. I don't want to. I don't want to name drop it. But yeah, he got caught with uh, like methamphetamine. Basically, he he stopped. He was like, you know what? Goodfellas was a good movie. Man, I miss running drugs. I'm gonna go sell meth. Well, no, it wasn't that. He he did get in trouble for selling meth. But when this movie came out, he was like, "Yeah, you know, the, the star of that movie—that's me. I've been a witness protection." And they're like, "Henry, really? You know, we've been protecting you for this long." And they're like, "Yeah, you're out of the program." Yeah. And I was just like, <sighs> "You know, he used to call into Howard Stern all the time." Yeah. I found that so funny. He would call in and he would just like talk bullshit. He also had his own website where you could buy, like, merch about this movie. And people were, like, writing in messages, you know, you're a rat, you did this to your friends, you did that. He's like, I'm alive. And apparently the website's still up and running. That's awesome. Yeah. But, um, boo, so, how do you, anything else? Anything else left you wanted to jump on to about this movie? No, it's just a great movie. I would highly recommend it. I don't know if you have more that you want to talk about the movie. Um, honestly, anything else I could add is just two big thumbs up. This is such a fun movie. This is a movie I can definitely see being somebody's favorite. This is a movie you can absolutely analyze and go deep on. This is a movie you should study. Mm-hmm. As just, this is how you should do, like, voiceover. This is how you should do these scenes. This is how you should structure things. It's such a good, good movie. Yeah. But... We're coming to the end of Mob Movie March. Yes, and you might be wondering, wait, what mob movie haven't they done yet? Is it the one mob movie that looms over all others bef- that have come before and after it? The the only mob movie, the gangster movie, that is probably universal in terms of acclaim and, and audience appreciation? If you are, you are correct, because next week we're watching... 
oh, we're watching the the greatest gangster movie um, ever, Looney Tunes uh, Crime Wave. Yes, I'm so pumped. Yeah, no, we're watching The Godfather. Even more pumped. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. I love The Godfather. It's I actually think it might be a perfect movie. It is, and, you know, we're not just watching the movie. We've been kind of holding off on this information, but Dean, why don't you tell people what we're doing and how this special this episode is going to be special? So, because this movie is going to be a 50th anniversary, well, basically this this year. It it just celebrated its anniversary a few days ago. Yeah, and because of that, the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences Museum in Hollywood, they're going to be doing a special screening for the 50th anniversary. That is going to feature a Q&A by the director, Francis Ford Coppola. We're going to be there. We're going to watch it. We're going to talk to Coppola. It's going to be a fun, fun experience. Well, we're probably going to listen to Coppola talk. Maybe we'll get a question in there. I'm just excited. It's going to be it's going to be fun because that screen is giant. That theater is giant. And it's also been restored for the 50th anniversary. So it's going to be interesting to see what the restored version looks like versus the version we saw... I think five years ago for the 45th anniversary. Yeah, yeah. We saw it at a Fathom Events screening. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited because it's supposed to be a 4K transfer. It's supposed to be like the best you can get it. It's been approved by Coppola himself. I'm excited. Me too. So be prepared for that. Uh, watch out for our Instagram at the Film Club Podcast because we will be posting pictures from that day. Pictures, maybe video. And if you want to listen to us on a different platform than you currently are, you can find us on Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, you can go to our YouTube channel, not in the frame. We are now The Film Vault. That is right. You can go to our YouTube channel, The Film Vault. You can uh, comment, subscribe, bells, like, like do, do anything you want. It's a lot of fun. Go click buttons on our YouTube channel. And um, with that, Boo, we'll see you next week at The Film Club. Have a good week, everybody.